Bibles, and I want you to turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and I know you are so excited to spend week 89 on giving and generosity. Um, I, l listen, sometimes you set out with goals and plans of how things are going to go. We're going to move through them pretty quickly. And then sometimes God just shows up and says, you know what, we're going to slow down just a little bit. So I, you, we're getting close to the end of talking about generosity, but to be honest with you, during this time of year, this may be the best time to talk about it, as we have the opportunity to not only show generosity to each other, but also to our community and those in our world who desperately need to know about the generosity of Jesus, that he gave up everything for us. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at two verses. I know you're saying this morning there is no possible way that Jason can make two verses go on too terribly long. Ooh, you do not know me. Um, but I hope to make quick work of it this morning because we've already done a lot of the backdrop to this. Remember, the context of what's happening is Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. The, the, the Christians in Jerusalem had been under severe persecution because of their love for Jesus. Jerusalem was kind of the hub of that persecution. We see it in the book of Acts. And because of that, many of the Christians living in and around Jerusalem had lost quite a bit and were living in really difficult circumstances. And so as Paul is sharing Jesus throughout the known world, he's actually going and taking up an offering for the Christians back in Jerusalem. Now the Corinthians, he told us, were excited to take up the offering at first, but then as we tend to do, the excitement had waned, and now he's writing to them to give them that Christian nudge to say, I know you love Jesus, now show how much you love Jesus by finishing the offering you were excited to take up. And what he's showing them, I believe, this morning is that it's to their benefit that they do this. That it's not just giving so that someone else can have benefit, but what Paul is showing them is they receive benefit as they give generously. Now, it may not be what they anticipated. They don't get to decide what the benefit is, but there is benefit to generosity, not just for others, but for the one who gives. And the theme I want to give you this morning is the theme of God's right-side-up kingdom. And I mean that to the way we live in daily life just so you know, according to God's plan and God's will, this world is upside down. Because of sin, nothing is as it should be. Things are broken. Our lives are a mess. There's fear. There's death. There's illness. There's tragedy. There's violence. There's suffering. The world we live in, while we may convince ourselves is okay, is actually upside down according to how God intended for it to be. So what is the good news of Jesus, what is the good news of redemption and the rescue of Jesus, is that when Jesus comes, he's actually flipping it right side up again. If you understand what I mean, would you say amen once? Some of you didn't seem certain of that. You live in an upside down world, when Jesus shows up, he's putting it right side up again the way God intended for it to be, and we get to be part of it. You'll get excited about that later. But it's important to remember because we try to convince ourselves and awfully are seduced by this world to think that things as they are now are the way they're supposed to be. It's just not the case. We see that in all aspects of our lives, but I believe what Paul shows us here is you see it also in the way that we act generously or whether we act generously. 
as God's people. So we're building on what we've already studied, but I want to show you these two verses this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We're going to do church aerobics. Everybody up. Before you fall asleep, everybody get up. And I think I'm going to start instituting what I did when I was a younger pastor, and that is if anybody starts to doze off, I'm making everybody stand up, and then you all can guess who's to blame. Is that cool? All right, awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says in verse 6, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us this morning. We need to remember why we give. We need to remember why we're called to be generous. So God, would you help us through these verses to see that it's only by Jesus Christ that we can live in generous ways to your glory. So may you turn our attention to him and the victory he has won for us on the cross. We love you, Lord, and we ask you to receive praise as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. So here's what we're going to get at. So in God's right-side-up kingdom, he brings to us this illustration and this fact that godly gain, if you are going to gain by God's standards... It does not come by hoarding things. To gain by God's standard, you're going to have to lose everything. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have to live in a tent in a park somewhere, but it does mean that you live a life where you're not clinging to the things of this world, but you're clinging to things of the kingdom of God. And that's an intentional thing that we do. And godly gain, gain in God's kingdom, comes by losing things, not by holding on to it with all your might. He says this in verse 6, the point is this. Don't you love it when someone says that? Because that basically means I'm boiling down everything I said into this phrase. The point of generosity, right? Because he's been talking to the Corinthians about being generous, giving to those who don't have out of their abundance. And he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I don't know how many of you are involved in farming, but this is an agricultural metaphor. He's given you an illustration of your Christian life, and he's given it to you as someone who sows seed. I don't know about you, I don't do this. At least not, I ain't got no garden. Uh, I'm not a farmer. I know you're shocked by that. I, the, the only thing I know how to grow is weeds in my yard. And I'm good at it. I got the best weeds in the county. But he's given you an agricultural metaphor about what generosity looks like. It may not mean as much to us today, but it certainly would have meant something to them because they were very familiar with that lifestyle. So what he tells us is, if I can paraphrase... That the farmer who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Now the word for sparingly is actually a word that means stingy. And, and if a farmer were to go out, sorry, this is me acting as a farmer. You can tell I'm not one. Like I'm sitting here like, <laughs> this, is what, this is what a farmer does, I know. But let's say you're a farmer and you've got some seed. 
if you sow it sparingly or stingily, and you only put out a little, but you hold on to a lot, what would you expect to get from that? Not much. You wouldn't have to be a scientist to know that. That if you sow sparingly or stingily, then you're going to reap stingily. But here's the thing. The farmer knows that, but does the Christian know that with regards to their generosity? That if you hold back and you're stingy in your generosity, what should you expect to come? But we don't think that way. We think if I hold it all back, then I'll have a whole bunch and I'll be okay. But here's the thing. He's using this metaphor to remind us that our generosity and how generous we are and what that looks like actually brings about something and you may not realize it. That by being stingy, you might actually reap, well, what's the word, stinginess? <laughs> not much. How could so, A farmer wouldn't expect to go out and just put a little bit of the seed out and expect a huge harvest to come from it. He would know, I spread a little, I'm only going to get a little. But the one who sows, what does he say? Bountifully will also reap bountifully. The, the word for bountiful means to be a blessing or a blessing itself. So, the one who sows a lot and is very generous in their sowing, then what should they expect? Blessing back from God that he's going to bless. Uh-oh. Y'all know where this goes wrong? Anybody know where this goes wrong? Yep. You got the preacher at night on TV going, if you, if you send me $1,000... I will pray over, I'm sorry, I, I think that's how most of them talk, but if you send me $1,000, I will pray over this handkerchief, and I'll mail it back to you, and you'll just, money will just come flowing in, your children will act right, you get, oh, sorry, that's terrible, I should stop that, um, but you've heard it, right? You've heard this verse, and verses like these used to say, well, if you just give, a whole bunch, then guess what God's going to do for you? He's going to give you a whole bunch. But here's the thing. How does he define bountiful? Did he say in these verses that if you give $10,000, God's got to give you $100,000 back? Does it say God's got to give you $10,000 back? Does it say God's got to give you 10 bucks back? No, see, see, what ends up happening is people who use these verses and twist them out of context, what they do is they start describing the bounty for themselves. And the way human beings describe bounty is you give me what I want. God doesn't operate that way. His kingdom is right side up. And because of that, he's not saying that if you give a whole bunch of money, then you're going to get a whole bunch of money back because then all that does is turn God into the slot machine. I put my money in, I pull it, and he cranks out a jackpot for me. Anybody who teaches you that is a liar. Is an absolute liar. Now, can God bless you financially at times? Certainly. Does he guarantee it? No. And is the motivation to our generosity be so God can cut me a check for a million dollars? Better not be. 
But what does he promise? This is a promise from God. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What God is promising is if you're not stingy, if you're generous with everything God has given you, not just your money, but your time, your efforts, your life, if you're generous, then guess what you can expect? God will bless you. He will find favor. Now, it may just be that he, you can live knowing that he's proud of you and he accepts your sacrifice for him. That may be the bountifulness. It's just the joy of knowing that he's pleased with us. And we're doing things that honor him and we're blessing other people as well. We're bringing joy into the lives of people and we're experiencing the joy of God towards us. But he promises you, if you're not stingy with what he gives you, you'll reap bountifully. You'll reap blessing from him. And I don't know about you, but that means that when we're generous, it's not just for other people. It's for us too. It's for our benefit. Spiritually, we are going to be blessed by God for being generous. The farmer knows this, but do Christians know this? Because I'll tell you what, sometimes even we as churches can become places where we just store up everything we got. We're just packing it all into bank accounts and rooms we can fit them in. We just don't want to get rid of none. We don't want to give any of it away. And churches just become savings and loans. That's not why God made us. That's not why he saved us. And that's not why he made us a church family. We are all here together to say, let's be generous with everything God gives us. And trust that he'll bless us in the way he wants to. That we'll find his favor. Even if other people don't like us, God will show his favor to us. That we'll actually have blessing as we say, God, whatever you want, take it. And just so you know, that is the grace of God towards us. He allows us to have this blessing by being faithful to what he's called us to do. But is it easy? Not when you got bills to pay. Not when you got responsibilities. So notice what he says in verse 7. Yes, we're already on verse 7. You gain, in God's kingdom, you gain by losing, giving away. And that leads to cheerful joy in him. He says in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. What does this mean? Well, it means that generosity is not an accident. We don't stumble into generosity. Generosity is a decision we make. It is an intent of the heart to honor God. It is an intent of the heart to bless other people and to bring joy to others. He says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's intentionality. That's not, that means you're planning it. You're thinking of it. You're making an intentional decision to, to be generous and to pour out whatever God has given you for someone else. But then he gives us some qualifiers. And this is where it starts to rub a little bit. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. <laughs> See, sometimes we decide how generous we're going to be, but if you were to plunge the depths of our hearts, you would find that our generosity is filled with reluctance. What does that mean? Well, the word reluctant actually means to be sorrowful. 
I don't want to give this up. It hurts so bad. It's so bad. Ooh, I don't want to lose it. That's reluctance. I don't want to give it, but I gotta. I've decided in my heart I have to give it, so I gotta give it. That's not, that's not, that, that is not generosity. So it shouldn't be reluctantly, and what else does he say? Or under compulsion. What's it mean to compel somebody to do something? What does compulsion mean? You gotta force it. Like, like pulling teeth. When you, I'm gonna be generous today, but you gotta pry it from my cold dead fingers. Those two things don't go together, do they? When your generosity is, uh, <laughs> that, that's not the godly generosity we're talking about. Remember, what is Paul telling the church in Corinth? He wants them to participate in meeting the needs of the saints in Jerusalem because they want to do it, not because he's making them do it. Because that doesn't necessarily display love for God or for other people if you have to do it. I mentioned this to you before. Husbands, if you only buy gifts for your... And I'm speaking to myself, Jason. Um, if you only buy gifts for your wife on the days you're supposed to buy gifts for your wife, it doesn't necessarily reflect that you love them. In fact, they might think you don't because they don't see none of this any other time. If you have to do it, there's not much love in it. And just so you know, if our generosity is forced, if we do it out of compulsion because if we don't, God will strike us dead, that's not godly generosity leading to joy. That's giving that leads to sorrow, bitterness, frustration, I don't know about you, but there's been times I've done that. I gotta. But notice he says, each should give according to what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly and not by compulsion. Why? Because those, those are examples, I believe, of what it means to sow sparingly. You only give up what you gotta. And not a dime or not a day or a second or anything more. You only give to the letter of the law. But that's not what honors God. And notice he tells us why we shouldn't do it reluctantly or under compulsion. Do you see it? Last part of the verse. Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for, which is a way of saying because... God loves a cheerful giver. Just so you know, we might convince ourselves that just because we put something in the offering plate or just because we donate our time or just because we serve someone, that that means that God's pleased with it. That's not necessarily true. You can do good things and not do them because you love God. You can do good things but do them sorrowfully, grudgingly, under compulsion. And just so you know, that's not what honors him. You know how I know that? Because he says it in the Old Testament too. If you go to Psalm 51, and you look there, you find David's prayer to God, his repentance. David's prayer asking God to forgive him of his sin with Bathsheba and his confrontation with Nathan the prophet. 
And he tells us something very interesting in Psalm 51, verse 16. David says to God, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What are we often guilty of? Well, God says give him a sacrifice, so I give him one. God says I got to do this, so I do it. God says I got to go here, so I go here. And we think that just because we do those things, he's ultimately pleased with us. But here, David says, you will not delight in burnt offerings or I would give you one. But what God delights above burnt offerings and money offerings, attendance at church, what God delights in more is a contrite heart, a low heart, a broken heart for God desire to see him glorified that's what God delights in see we can get caught in just going well I was generous I gave somebody something but if it wasn't because we love God if it wasn't for his glory if it wasn't because we were just so thankful for all he's done for us and how he saved us from our sin if it's not done because we love him supremely he doesn't love that God loves a cheerful giver, one whose heart enjoys honoring God, enjoys submitting to his good and awesome will. See, folks, I think what Paul is telling the church in Corinth is, be careful, don't just do this because you think I want you to give money to this offering. Don't just help people out because you gotta. The heart of one who has been changed by Jesus should love and find joy in being generous. Because after all, isn't that what Jesus did? In Hebrews chapter 12, which comes after Hebrews 11, thank you very much, and is the hall of faith, right? Those those Christians, those, those followers of God in the Old Testament who sacrificed and gave everything to him. And, and, and the author of Hebrews walks us through all these pictures and illustrations of faithfulness and devotion to God and love for him and sacrifice for him. Goes directly into Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where the author of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do you run? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? What motivated Jesus to the cross? What motivated Jesus to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. The joy that I believe Jesus had for doing the will of his Father. For doing what pleased him. Jesus had joy even in the midst of his suffering and pain, the joy of knowing he was faithful to his, his king.
to his Father. So Jesus is our example. We also today, as generous people, we do it not pointing to ourselves, but pointing to this is what God accomplishes in the hearts of his people. That this morning we would see that it is absolute joy to follow after the will of God and to walk in obedience with him. That this morning we might see that it is actually in our giving and our generosity that in our losing we actually gain. That as we lower ourselves, there we are exalted. And God is the one who produces this in us. This is not natural to us. This is not normal. The only way we can live generous lives like this is because of what Jesus has done in our hearts. You don't do this by waking up one day and deciding to. You do this because a new heart has been given you. Very much like what David says in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. See what Jesus does? See how good he is to us? How gracious he is? That Jesus would give up everything for us. And for him, that was joy. Knowing what Jesus has given up for us, how could we possibly sit here with everything God has given and done for us and be like, here, you can have a little. Here, you can have a little. I'm going to keep the rest for me. See, the way we display trust in God is not by clinging to the things he's given us, but by saying, it's all yours. And I trust you that whatever you take, I'll be okay. Whatever you want me to give, I have you. That we honor God by saying, none of these things are as good to us as he is. And so we live generous lives, understanding that God will bless us, but it'll be in his way. It may just be with knowing that he's pleased, that you've been faithful to him, that you've sacrificed for his glory. Maybe he will meet material needs that you have. I don't know. God operates however he wants. But realize that our generosity is not just so other people can benefit. Our generosity is for our good that we might draw closer to God, glorify him in everything we do, and trust him that he'll take care of us and do whatever he wishes. That's a great place to be. That's a place marked by cheer and joy, not sorrow and frustration and bitterness. So what does that mean? I'm asking you to examine your hearts. Number one, do you know Jesus? Are you trusting in him and his sacrifice alone? If you're not, no amount of stuff you give, no matter how generous you try to be, it will never satisfy you. You'll never find ultimate joy apart from Christ alone. You need to turn away from sin, trust in him. You cannot earn your way to God. Jesus has purchased everything you need on the cross. Trust in his death and his resurrection alone to pay for your sin, to experience the grace of God and to know the love of God, which is steadfast for you. But number two... If you are a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, what does your generosity look like? Would you describe your generosity as sparing or stingy or as bountiful? 
when you look at all that God has given you, I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about everything, I'm talking about our lives. Would you look at your life, would you look at your heart and say that you're being bountiful in the way you sow, or are you being stingy? And number two, when you describe your generosity, would you describe it as reluctant, or would you describe it as cheerful? Does God have to pry it out of our hands? Or are we ready to give up everything for him? Because one pleases God and the other doesn't. We should probably know the answer to how we're living, correct? And only you know. I'm asking you to examine your heart. Because if we're stingy as individuals, guess what the church will be? Folks. <laughs> now the good news is having been your pastor for over five years I've seen your generosity I've seen how great you've been when we stepped up to the plate with different needs in our community and in our church but folks that doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing it because we love God I don't know about you but I want to experience the bountiful blessing of God I don't know about you, but I want to be marked by generosity that hasn't, doesn't have to be ripped from my hands, but is freely given because I love him. I don't know about you, but I want our church to be a church that lives with our hands wide open going, God, whatever you want, take it. Whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. And we're not going to do it dragging us, kicking and screaming. We're going to do it because we love you supremely. See, folks, if we do those things and continue to do them, I believe in the promises of God. He will bless us. It may not be with bigger buildings and more people and more budgets, but I believe it will be spiritual blessing to know that he is pleased with us. Folks, you want to be a part of that? You want to be part of a group of people who are willing to leverage everything for the good news of Jesus. That we'll give up whatever he calls us to, to make Jesus known, not only in our community, but across the world. That we would pour ourselves out, and not just for the good of others, but that we might know the goodness of God, and we might know his trustworthiness, then his faithfulness to us. I don't know about you, that's what pleases God, is the cheerful giver. So this morning... I don't know how you need to respond, but you do. Either trusting in Jesus for the first time or coming before God, confessing when we haven't been this kind of generous and asking God to forgive us. And here's the good news. Anybody who calls upon him will be forgiven. So this morning, we need to respond to God. What's your generosity look like? What does your heart look like before God? Who knows our thoughts and our hearts? Now, that can be awfully scary, but it's also great news because the one who knows us better than anyone else is the same Jesus who loves us more than anyone else. I want you to know that love. I want you to know the joy of a life dedicated and poured out for his glory. This morning, let's respond to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I ask you to help us this morning. 
that, God, we would honor you in everything that we do. And, Father, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the things of this world that we lose sight of all that you've done for us. God, we lose sight of just how you've given up everything for us. Father, we can find ourselves clinging to the things you've given us by Jesus who gave up everything. And so, Father, we want to reflect you. We want to walk after the example of our King. We want to give you praise in our lives as your people by living lives of generosity. God, that we wouldn't hoard the things you give us and the things you do for us, but, Father, we'd pour them out for your glory so that this world might know your goodness and your grace. Father, if there's anybody here this morning who's hoping to be good enough to be saved, would you show them clearly they cannot be saved by their own efforts? Father, would you show them that they need Jesus? God, would you draw them to yourself? And Father, would you rescue them? Cause them to, to forsake their sin and to find the forgiveness of Jesus alone. And Father, for us who claim the name of Christ, for us who have been changed, for those of us who have new hearts by Jesus, Father, would you help us to see that if burnt offerings would bring you joy, God, we bring it. But what you desire, what you delight in, is not the outward act. God, what you delight in is the contrite, lowly heart that sacrifices and gives and is generous because that's the heart you've given us. Because we want to please you. We want to please you. So God, help us. Forgive us where we fail you. And Father, would you help us to see that as your people, we are not condemned this morning. That even in our failures, we're not condemned. You know why? Because Jesus has paid for every ounce of sin. Not just what we've done or what we are doing, but even the sin we've yet to commit. Oh God, we thank you that we stand as your people free this morning, paid for by the blood of Jesus, no longer condemned by you, but righteous in your eyes. Oh God, may our lives reflect this gracious gift you've given us of redemption and forgiveness. May we pour ourselves out for your glory. Thank you, God, for giving us new hearts that don't have to be selfish, but new hearts that love you and others supremely. To you alone, God, be glory and honor forever in our lives and in this world. Help us to respond to you, God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.